1: Politics by Faith. I'm Mike Slater. Thank you for being here. Still a little under the weather. Sorry my voice sounds extra low. Handsome. Slater, you've never sounded better. You've never sounded more sultry. So I hope you had a wonderful Christmas and New Year's. This will be our final Politics by Faith ever. Now just on this sort of broad theme based uh, topics uh, and then we'll get back to our truest mission statement, which is the politics, like the news of the day, the story of the day, that will start coming up on Thursday. But I came across this story and I thought this was a good way to sort of end the Christian theme that has been the last few weeks because of Christmas. Uh, The story of the day is we don't live in a Christian country anymore. Let's just know that going into the new year and starting 2023. We just don't live in a Christian country. 87% of people believe in at least one aspect of new age spiritualism is not Christianity, 87% of people, 45% of people say they believe in at least five new age spiritualist beliefs. On the morning motivations, we are going to pick five of these new age beliefs, one a day. Uh, these are new age beliefs that, that most Americans believe in and compare them, contrast them with the Christian worldview, things like karma and the law of attraction. That's what we're going to do in our morning motivations this week. But it's getting worse. Fewer and fewer people in America believe in the Bible. So the story of the day is that we are living in a post-Christian nation. Let's explain what that means and then we'll give some hope as we end every episode with. So let's explain what's happening here. Let's get a little uh, insight into our future by looking at England. So England, which obviously a, a country That has been so important to the the Christian faith. I mean, if nothing else, that's where the Puritans came from, who came to settle America to make us who we are. So it's kind of important. And it's a people whose imperialism spread Christianity all around the world. Latest survey the proportion of people identifying with Christianity 46% in last year's census. This is in England 46% of people, marking a 13% decline in just the last decade. And the number of people claiming to have. No religion jumped from 25% to 37% of the population that's in England, but it's worse than that. Ben Zeisloft talked to missionaries in England. Uh, He said less than 10% of people in England and Wales are members of any church, while only 5% consistently attend services. And one missionary said, this is before the discussion of biblical orthodoxy has ever been introduced. I would be happy to hear that 2% of these are truly Bible believing and practicing Christians. So, think about that. So, even if you have 46% of people in England claim they're Christian, only 10% belong to a church, only 5% go to church. And then, even those who go to church, how many of them are truly know and follow uh, the Bible? So, we're at 2%, <laughs> this was me for my whole life. I was a creester. I went Christian at Easter. And if you asked me in college or a couple years after, before I came a Christian. If you asked me if I was a Christian, I'd be like, well, yeah. I mean, I'm not a Muslim. Like, those are my choices. Your choices are Muslim, militant, atheist, or Christian. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. So if you asked me, I'd be in this survey. I'd be like, well, do you go to church? No. Well, I mean, I go to the same church twice a year, Christmas and Easter. So I'd be in, I'd be in that group. But I wasn't a Christian. We live in a post-Christian world. And I mean something very specific by that. Aaron Wren, he outlined three phases of Christianity in our recent American history. The positive world, neutral world, and negative world. The positive world was before 1994. This is what he says. Society at large, so this is our culture in, uh, before 1994. Society at large remains a mostly, retains a mostly positive view of Christianity. To be known as a good church-going man remains part of being an upstanding citizen. If you're a citizen, well, part of, are you a good citizen? Well, then you go to church on Sunday. Publicly being a Christian is a status enhancer. Christian moral norms are the basic moral norms of society, and violating them can bring negative consequences. That was the uh, positive world. So perhaps you grew up in that world. Then you have the neutral world, 1994 to 2014. It's moving fast. Society takes a neutral stance towards Christianity. Christianity no longer has privileged status, but it's not disfavored. Being publicly known as a Christian has neither a positive nor a negative impact on your social status. Uh, Christianity, it's a it's a valid option within a pu- pluralistic public square. It's it's fine. I mean, you you do you, I'll do me, you do you. Sure, okay, fine. You're Christian, okay. Christian moral norms retain some residual effect. That's the neutral world. Then you have the negative world. 2014 to today. Society has come to have a negative view of Christianity. Being known as a Christian is a social negative, particularly in the elite domains of society. Christian morality is expressly repudiated and seen as a threat to the public good and the new public moral order. Right? It's good to be transgender. You, Christian, you're against that. You're bad. You're big... Subscribing to Christian moral views or violating the secular moral order brings negative consequences. This is where we are today. And again, how quickly things have changed. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code POD. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? Even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, report, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Now, each phase requires a different kind of response by the Christian to the world, I would argue. So if you lived, or when we lived in the positive world where people have a more positive view of Christianity, you could have uh, culture war figures who fight against the negative forces in the country, and most people would agree with the warrior's effort. And you could have seeker-sensitive churches whose goal is to just get people into the building, and then, you know, we'll convert them once they get inside, and so we'll do whatever they want to get, whatever whatever we think they want, in order to, whatever they would find appealing, we'll do it to get them in, because most people still have a positive view of Christianity. That was the response in the positive world. When we were in the neutral world, people tried to spread the gospel through uh, cultural engagement. So we're not fighting the culture's lies like the culture warriors were. We're engaging in the culture. So in the central public square, Christianity could be articulated in a nice way. And maybe some people would think that it had something to offer in their life and they could just add a little bit of it where they wanted. They wouldn't give up their life to make Jesus Lord of their life. They wouldn't do that. But maybe they could add a little bit of the teachings of this man, Jesus, uh, and add it to all their other self-help tricks that they've been uh, embracing. So that that was the effort by Christians, by many Christians, is to engage with the culture. But now we're in the negative world where Christian views are not neutral. It's a force of bigotry. Christianity is bigotry. Christianity is oppression and enslavement and evil. It was the Christian worldview that made gay people feel so bad about themselves, they say. So the Christian worldview is violence. So what's the strategy in this world? I don't know what people will end up doing, but if I may make a suggestion, I think the strategy in the negative world is to be even more bold in your faith and even more bold as to what the scriptures say to do. And this is good. It's, Firm lines, right? Vibrant, strong, obvious lines need to be drawn. And it's easier to do that in the negative world. Don't worry about being liked by people. You won't be. <laughs> that ship has sailed. And isn't that liberating? Like maybe in the previous worlds, the positive world or the neutral world, you, you have the strong desire to be liked by people uh, and to be accepted. You won't be. Done. It's, it's, you won't. It's, unless you just give it up entirely, give up your Christianity, you won't be liked by the world. Great, you got nothing to lose, so do it. The gospel's not fragile; spread it. You're not going to win anyone over by being milk toast anyway, so go all in. People in our culture today, especially young people, value authenticity. Authenticity has a very high cultural value, so be authentic. Tell people what is true. So, how do we get to this post-Christian world? Oh goodness, there's tons of historical, uh, philosophical things that have occurred. Uh, but let's just cut to the chase of it. It's pride. How do we get to the point of so few people believing the Bible? It's pride. I know what's best. <laughs> and it's my way. It's pride. And it, that's the story of the Bible. From the fall to the Israelites in the desert wanting to turn back. Like I, I, I know I've brought this up. I'm sure I have. You have the Israelites. They lived through the 10 plagues. And, and a lot of the plagues only affected the Egyptians, not the Israelites. Right? So it could be Uh, Like all the animals, all the Egyptians' animals died, but the Israelites' animals lived. And the locusts came and took over everything, but just in the Egyptians' houses, not where the the Israelites lived. Or it would be pitch black, but only for the Egyptians, not for the Israelites. It's like, obviously, God is doing these things. And, of course, the Passover, right? So you you have the ten plagues, the Passover, the parting of the Red Sea, all these miracles. And they still lacked the faith to trust God after like a day or two. <laughs> it's I think about this every day. And this is because it's true for me, it's true for all of us. We're just as stubborn, we're just as forgetful, we're just as untrusting as the as the Israelites. There's no question about that. I'm reminded of it every single day. Just today's example, my son uh, as you know, two weeks in the NICU when he was first born, and we said we'll never take a day of his crying for granted because he was intubated, so he couldn't cry or he cried but you wouldn't hear it. Oh, so we'll, we'll love the sound of his cry forever. And then he finally comes home. We're like, oh, prayer is answered. Thank you, God. And, it was, and a couple of days later, we're annoyed at his crying. And then he just, he's just he got his RSV right now, which I probably do too, right? the way I sound. So we had to take him back to the emergency room at the children's hospital. And, and now he's fine, but he's sick. So he's got this like this little soft whimper of a cry. And it's like, oh, that's so sad. Please, God, please bring back his loud Proper cry, a baby's cry, bring it back. I'll never take it for granted. And of course I will. Every time you're sick, oh God, if I get better, I'll never take my health for granted. (laughs) The next day you're healthy, you take it for granted. It's unbelievable. That's our nature. Being grateful is a choice and a practice. And it's one of the most important things you could do to be grateful to God. But we don't because we're prideful. And we think we can figure out the right way to organize society. Because I know the truth. God doesn't. The Bible was wrong. We're doing it my way now. How's it going? <laughs> let's uh, let's lament for a little bit. I promise I'll get to some hope in a minute, but I just want to let you know it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. It gets a lot, a lot worse. So you know what? We haven't hit bottom. You know, If, if you've ever had an addiction or you know an addict, you got to hit rock bottom. Rock bottom in our country is child's burning child sacrifice. Like, like, That's how far we have to go. The Bible is all about don't. Do that, which means that's something people did. It burned children as sacrifice. Now we have a, a abortion, of course, but it can be worse than that. It's like here's a child who's born, and we're gonna ritualistically burn it for the gods. Like that's how far still we have to go. So buckle up. We're nowhere near rock bottom. We're nowhere near the 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 small amount of Christians in America that will be left. We're nowhere near the full persecution of Christians. We still have all of that to come. I don't know if it's gonna be in my or your lifetime, but that's certainly t- the trajectory we're gonna. You know, Black Lives Matter, it's a communist group. Right? Um, the last surge that they had in 2020, 2021, what they did with that surge, they didn't go after Christianity. They hid that part of their mission statement. What they did is they used their social cachet to infiltrate even more into every institution that exists. So now they're in all these institutions and they have the power. And then when the next opportunity comes, they will unleash that power that they've never had before, that they now will truly have in an institutional way. They will unleash it upon churches. There's no question. Patrice Kalors, one of the co-founders, uh, they're both Marxists, both co-founders. Patrice Kalors, she was raised Jehovah's Witness, and her mother had her out of wedlock. She and her, her the mom and family were shunned, and uh, Patrice was hurt by, by people uh, and, and blames Christianity for it. So she's anti-Christian and she said about Black Lives Matter, she said, quote, at its core, it's a spiritual movement. What spirit though? (laughs) Not the Christian one. To her, Christianity is mean. That's her traumatic experience. Christianity is mean. Black Lives Matter is nice and good. Their new mission statement. They took out their old mission statement, which had the section about dismantling the nuclear family, but it has this line: "We aff- this is the new one. We affirm the lives of Black queer and trans folks, disabled folks, undocumented folks, folks with records, <laughs> criminals, women, and all Black lives along the gender spectrum." Okay, so that's the that's the nice version of spirituality, and because they're the nice ones, they must be against the mean Christian version of spirituality. You know, Christianity, the source of all bad things in the world. Mostly, judgment.
0: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the
1: bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo when we lost
0: track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Lucky. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: So the power and swiftness and force that you saw Black Lives Matter in 2021, 2020, 2021, one day that will all be unleashed against the church. So uh, will your church stand up to it? Did your church stand up to it in 2020? Most didn't even stand up to it then. It wasn't even unleashed against the church. Wait till wait till the church is like the target. Will your church stand up to the truth? Most won't. Most won't. And then after that, how long will these changes be? And the, the generations. Generations. Great awakenings are not guaranteed to happen. I have a book of Jonathan Edwards the great awakening that I I must read. It's at the top of my reading list. Actually, I have two. I got this book by Oz Guinness, The Magna Carta of Humanity. So I got these two books I got to read, but I must learn more about The Great Awakening because uh, I'd, I'd like there to be one in our country today. But I, I, my my thesis going in is that Great Awakenings are not guaranteed to happen. It's not like the pendulum swings back on our own time. The, the pendulum may take generations to swing back, like in East Germany. When the communists took over East Germany, they got rid of all the churches. There's persecution everywhere. And everyone became an atheist. But the idea was that when the wall came down in East Germany, then the people would become Christian again. That didn't happen. 34 years later, hasn't happened. In West Germany, which remained free, 10% of people, 10% of West Germans are atheists. In East Germany, it's 52%. 52%. Now, those are people who consider themselves ex- like explicitly atheist, like I am, I am atheist, but that doesn't mean other people believe in God. In one survey by the university of Chicago, they couldn't find one person in East Germany who said they believed in God. They couldn't find one. Now surely there's some, but this survey couldn't find one. Now Germany is a complex place. There's a lot of historical and cultural things going on there that are all coming together to make this true. But my my point here is East Germany had an imposed atheism From the Soviet Union, imposed atheism on people. And they've been gone now for generations. Generations past Soviet control. And Christianity has not bounced back to be equal to just what it is in West Germany today. Christianity doesn't just bounce back. (laughs) So this long downward trajectory that we're on right now, I really want to emphasize the long. There's still a ways to go. Jeez, Slater, what a downer. I know that's the lament section, isn't it? Is that, please, that's, yeah, yeah, that's still the lament. We're in the lament part of this. But don't be discouraged. We will give hope. We always do. My last point on Germany, and we'll count this as the historical, uh, and then we'll get to the biblical lesson. Uh, in the 1850s in Germany, there was a small group of people who wanted an alternative to Christian education and spe- specifically to the Christian confirmation that took place in churches for kids, like a coming of age. They wanted an atheist coming of age. So this these humanist groups came up with what they call Schungenweich. I, I don't speak German. It means youth ceremony in German, youth ceremony. Think of it like a atheist confirmation. And they were moderately popular in the 1800s and what. But then 1953, when the Soviets took over or were in power, this was a, uh, a resolution from Moscow, measures for the recovery of the political situation in the GDR, East Germany. And this mandated, this youth confirmation hearing, this youth ceremony on everyone who turned 14, you were a man now, and they'd have this big atheist ceremony, and you were given a book with all the communist propaganda, you were given the book of the meaning of our lives. <laughs> and there was... God, nowhere to be found in it. And then there was this big uh, pledge, right? So here, here's how it went. Dear friends, let us rise from our seats. The youth will now make its solemn pledge. Here it is. They shall serve world peace, the unity of our fatherland, and the buildup of socialism. My dear young friends, are you ready to use all your strength to fight for peace together with all peace-loving people and to defend it to the last breath? And then the kids would say, yes, we pledge. Are you ready to use all your strength to fight together with all patriots for a united, peace-loving, democratic, and independent Germany? Yes, we pledge. Are you willing to use all your strength for the building of a happy life, for progress in the economy, science, and art? Yes, we pledge. We have heard your pledge. Now accept the promise from the community of all the workers of our people to protect you, to support you, to help you, so that you might reach the lofty goal that you have set for yourselves. <laughs> it's great, right? So they, they indoctrinate that on every 14-year-old, all 14-year-olds. Now, here's the thing: they still do it. Now it's not mandated like it was during the Soviet, but it's still a common practice. Decades later. <laughs> and it's so it's really interesting. We think, because we grew up in a Christian nation, that if all else left free and normal and neutral, that people will just be Christian. That's just the normal, natural thing. You'll just be Christian and you'll automatically have the Christian worldview. If you're an American and you grew up here, you'll just have the Christian worldview. That's not the normal worldview. It's not the it's not normal. The, the Christian worldview is not normal. It's the revolutionary worldview. And when we abandon it, we go back to the ancient forms of worship, which is mostly the self. Now let's talk about a biblical. Example, people turning away from the Bible. I mean, that's the Old the Old Testament, starting with Genesis. Eat this and you shall be like God. Like the whole thing is about turning from God. And again, the the morning motivations this week is all about this. All about the difference between New Age spiritualism, which 87% of Americans believe in at least one aspect of New Age spiritualism. And we contrast that with the Christian worldview. And we're going to do one every day for the morning motivations. But the short of it is the world says, you got this. You got this. And the Bible says, no, you don't. And the world says you need to find your true self. And the Bible says, no, you need to put to death what is earthly in you. You need to deny yourself. Take up your cross. Lose your life for Jesus to save it. Matthew 16, 24. The New Age movement says you are God. You're a mini God. And you can manifest your desires by speaking them enough. It's like Hindu idea that you're in charge, the true you. And that you were born perfect. You just got to connect with your inner child again. Just reconnect with that inner child and you can save yourself. These are all ancient ideas. This is new age spiritualism, but these are ancient ideas. I like this. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, 9. Uh, when you come into the land, so this is God, Moses. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices Of those nations. Interesting that often when a conqueror took over a nation, the conqueror would take over some cultural practices from who they conquered. Interesting, right? Uh, God says don't do that. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. (laughs) What? That's the child sacrifice I was speaking of. That's where we still have to go. That's the rock bottom. You're burning children as an offering maybe we'll get to that. I'm sure we will. Uh, One day, not tomorrow, not not this year. uh, One day, we'll be burning children as an offering to Mother Earth. That's the pagan god of today. We'll be burning children to Mother Earth. That's the rock bottom. And until we get there, (laughs) we're still going down. But there's God saying, hey, no child sacrifice, all right? Child sacrifice was a common thing. Otherwise, God would not have needed to say, hey, stop it. Stop doing that. Deuteronomy goes on, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer, someone who talks to the dead, uh, or one who inquires of the dead for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. So what these are, these are all attempts to see, manipulate, or communicate with the future, the past and the dead. Most of these are about the future, though, right? We have this desire to know the future. But any attempt like these undermines the premise of God's sovereignty. Do you believe that God is in control? Yes or no? If you do, trust him. If you don't, you're more likely to consult tarot cards. My point of all this is I don't want you to be discouraged by the persecution that is to come. I don't want you to be discouraged. It is happening. It will happen. It will get much worse. Embrace it. And know that you are not alone. You are not alone.
0: Wherever you download your favorite podcasts.
1: It'll feel like you are and you are not. I love this scene with Elijah, the prophet Elijah, Israel ruled by a wicked king and even more wicked queen, Jezebel. And Elijah hides near a river during a long drought fed by ravens. Uh, God told him to go visit a widow and ask for bread. And she's like, listen, I only got this jar of flour and oil. That's it. I got me and my son. And God makes it so the jar never runs out. If you obey God, he will provide for you. Know that. He will fulfill your needs. He knows what you need. Always remember that. You think you know what you need. You don't. God knows what you need. He will provide it for you. Let me quote this from Spurgeon. All right, so point number one. So there's two points. This first point is God will provide. Second point is you're not alone. So in the name of God will provide, know that it doesn't mean he's going to shower you with luxuries. He doesn't promise that. He didn't give Elijah a feast every night. He gave him bread, meat, and water just enough. I'm sure Jezebel's Baal worshipers were way better fed than God fed Elijah, right? But who would you rather be? Spurgeon said, delicate things, delicate means luxurious, so luxurious things, are not promised to the children of God, and his prophets at any rate should not seek after them. They that fare luxuriously and are clothed sumptuously with great magnificence are in king's houses and are often nothing better than reeds shaken by the wind. Let us learn then from this, that although God will provide for the needs of his people, yet he has never promised to give them more than enough. The promise runs, your bread shall be given to you and your water shall be sure, but it goes no further. We are instructed each day to pray, give us this day our daily bread, which means give us a sufficiency. And indeed, if God's inspiration had not taught us so to pray, wisdom would teach us to do it. Proverbs 38, neither give me poverty nor riches, feed me with food convenient for me. It is that middle path of the enough, which is perhaps the most pleasant. So know that that in this persecution that we will face, when when things are bad, God is providing for you. He is giving you enough. That's the first. Second point is you're not alone. So Elijah has this epic face-off with their God, Baal. Of course, God wins. Probably my favorite scene in the Bible. Uh, it's First Kings 18. And then Elijah kills Baal. 450 prophets of Baal. Jezebel, the queen, did not take kindly to this. Tried to kill Elijah, and Elijah just couldn't take it anymore. Couldn't take it anymore. Begged for God to kill him. 1 Kings 19.4. Uh, but he himself went a day into the wilderness, came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And I refresh your memory on all of this just to make the point. point, 1 Kings 19.14, Elijah says to God, I'm the only prophet left and they're trying to kill me. And God says, don't worry. He says, I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not yet bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. In other words, Elijah, you're not alone. Elijah says, I'm the only one left. And God says, no, you're not. And I say the same thing to you today. You are not alone. 1 Kings 18, 4. Ahab, the king, summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. And listen to this line. Obadiah, this is, this is in parentheses, in the Bible. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. Again, working in the king, with the king, King Ahab and, and Jezebel, the, the worst ever, right? Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord while Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets. Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Just like God provided Elijah and just like he will provide for you. And you are not alone. So Slater, what's in my control? What do I do with this? Go hide in a cave. No, no, no. The verse where Elijah asked God to kill him Uh, God says, what are you doing here? Elijah says, I've I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. I love this. I have been very zealous. Zealous. Mm, Maybe that could be a word. Do you have a word for the year? Maybe Zealous could be your word, your theme of the year. Be zealous. Here's the original Webster's definition. Warmly engaged or ardent in the pursuit of an object. Oh, that's very good. Warmly engaged or ardent. Ardent means enthusiastic or passionate. Mm, I like that too, obviously. Enthusiastic, passionate. I like warmly engaged. That's very good. Mm, And the pursuit of an object. so the the this the, so this is why I love Webster's original dic- uh, dictionary, 1828, because almost every definition of a word has either a Bible verse or a biblical theme. So the the sentence that they gave to help us understand the word zealous is: "Being thus saved himself, he may be zealous in the salvation of souls." <laughs> it's great. That's again, what a perfect example of 1828. We were a Christian nation. The dictionary <laughs> always used Bible themes to help us understand the words let me look up today zealous let's see what he, let's see what sentence the dictionary gives oh perfect he was a zealous supporter of constitutional and parliamentary reform so a political activist that's amazing that is such that's my point right there. The original dictionary definition says, oh, what's the word zealous? Oh, he is zealous to save souls. Having been saved himself, he is zealous to save souls. Today, what's the word? What's the, give me uh, zealous in a sentence. Oh, he's a zealous supporter of uh, parliamentary reform. <laughs> he's, a zealous, he's a zealous supporter of the Green New Deal. That's it. No, not us. Let us be zealous to God. Let others, as Elijah said to God, let others reject the covenant and tear down altars. Let us never be a part of that anyway. No, we're going to be zealous. We're going to have zeal. Zeal comes from this uh, Greek word meaning noble passion. Mm. Let us have zeal for the Lord while the rest of the world is lukewarm and now even cold. We're going to have zeal. Final thought as we go back into this post-Christian world that we're living in, raising kids in, working in, hopefully the greatest encouragement I could give. Jesus told his disciples, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. To which I say, okay. How do you respond to that? How do you respond to that? Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. What's your response? Let me know. SlaterRadio at gmail.com. Next episode, we can come back with some of the the best responses, I guess, or just a a nice survey of how how you do respond to that. Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. To which you say... Give me your immediate answer, slaterradio at gmail.com, slaterradio at gmail.com. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. If you could please leave a five-star review, that'd be great. That helps the algorithm, and we can help uh, spread the word. I'm grateful for you. Have a wonderful day.
0: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
1: A laundry? Ooh, a book club.